This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Mitch LaFawn. Welcome to another episode of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. I, of course, am your host, Mitch LaFawn. And by the, by the way, if you would like some Mitch merch, you can head over to loudtracks.com. That's L-O-U-D-T-R-A-X.com. And uh, when you get to their page, go to the search part and just uh, type in Mitch, M-I-T-C-H, and you will see there are some Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn shirts there. Available and shipping now. We were taking pre-orders for shipment in May, but guess what? We are May, so they are shipping now. Uh, and, of course, if you want to support the podcast, there is the uh, PayPal, uh, MitchMinute at uh, AOL.com, MitchMinute at AOL.com, if you care to support what I do. Uh, and if you do, uh, thank you. Very, very much appreciated. Always appreciated. Um, speaking of appreciation, I was in New York City this weekend, the wonderful Big Apple, and I was there to see Pretty Woman the Musical. And you're thinking, well, Mitch, you're a rock guy. Why are you heading out to see Pretty Woman the Musical? Well, first of all, I'm cultured. <laughs> okay, I like to pretend I'm cultured. But no, uh, Jim Valance, who wrote songs like Summer of 69, Rock and Roll Hell for Kiss, War Machine for Kiss, um, but also does a lot of writing with Brian Adams. So Jim Valance and Brian Adams wrote the musical score for uh, Pretty Woman, the musical. And I figured, okay, I'll go, I'll go check that out. And before the show, um, I got a chance to meet up with Jim, and he uh, took me around the block, literally. And then into the theater, we went backstage to see how the, the, the musicians were set up, the drum kit and all that. And then we went out on the stage, and we took a picture. And you can go check out that picture on my Twitter. If you haven't followed my Twitter, that is at... Mitch LaFon, very simple, at Mitch LaFon on Twitter. Uh, also on Instagram, if you want, at Mitch underscore LaFon. But anyway, uh, so we, I saw a Pretty Woman, and it was absolutely, absolutely delightful. If you uh, know the movie and you like the movie, you will absolutely love this. And if you are unaware of the movie or haven't seen it and you want just a good time in New York while you're there visiting or you live there, just go check it out. I mean, uh, Jim and Brian have done an Absolutely, absolutely a great job. And uh, let's not forget this summer, summer of 2019, not 69, Brian Adams is heading out on the road with Billy Idol. And I will have uh, Steve Stevens in an interview coming up very, very shortly. But uh, Brian Adams and uh, Billy Idol, holy mackerel. That that is going to be, I guess, a three-hour show of the greatest top 40 hits from like 1983 to 1992 or something. It's, it's, it's going to be absolutely uh, spectacular. So do, 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 do check that out if you have a chance. But uh, let us get over to our guest today. It is going to be an entire Alice Cooper extended family episode. We are going to start off with former bass player Kane Roberts. He has a new album out called The New Normal. It came out back in um, January, I believe, and it's got a whole bunch of Canadian, or not Canadian content. Well, it's got Canadian content. It's got Alyssa White-Glues. I think I said it right. Uh, she sings on it, and she is, of course, from Montreal, but uh, which is important because we love Montreal. But we've got uh, Alice Cooper singing a song, or co-singing a song, I guess, but he's on the album. Uh, Kip Winger helps out as well, and we cannot forget... Nita Strauss, 
the lovely, lovely Nita Strauss, who uh, lends her talents to the album. So you've got a lot of extended Cooper family there. And then on the other side of the episode, or the other side of that interview, we are going to come back and we are going to hear from Chuck Garrick, Calico Cooper, and more from the band Bisto Blanco. They have a new album coming out at the end of May called We Are. And so, of course, Chuck is currently in Alice Cooper and Calico Cooper. Well, guess what? Related to Alice Cooper, uh, his daughter. So there's a lot of Cooper. It's it's a Cooper episode, and and we love Cooper. So always, always Cooper, Cooper, Cooper. And, you know, I've actually been talking to Ryan Roxy to to do special uh, episodes for Rock Talk. So it would be Mitch, uh, you know, uh, Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn presents... Uh, Ryan Roxy, and then he would put a show together for you where I would not be on it, uh, and he would host it and do whatever, so either take you through a rig rundown or some backstage stuff or interview a guest of his own, and I think that would be interesting if I sort of could branch out and have people come on and do a show uh, without me and just give you some alternative or alternate uh, content. Anyway, I like the idea. We're going to we're going to start testing it out, I guess sometime maybe in June or July, so you'll get, you know, three or four episodes of me in a month and then you'll get one with Ryan and and anyway, I think it's great. So hopefully you will think it is great as well. Uh what else do we have to tell you before we get over to Kane Roberts? You yes, of course. We are uh co-hostless if that's a word. Co-hostless? Can we say that? Anybody? Miriam Dictionary? Check it out. Uh, but we are co-hostless, and it is not because of any great uh, conspiracy theory. It is simply, I have been traveling. I went down to the M3 Festival to Maryland, and then I'm, I did the New York trip. And then next weekend, uh, what is that? May, May 18th and 19th, I'll be in Albany for Uriah Heep and uh, Judas Priest. And then the weekend after, it is Guilford, New Hampshire for Sammy Hagar and uh, Night Ranger, and, and and by the way, I'm saying and quite a bit, so uh, make it a drinking game. But uh, the important thing there is that those, to me, you know, they're all like four or five hour drives, maybe except for Maryland. And so I've been making drives instead of taking planes, and, and it's just, it's cutting into my time. So I just, I don't have time to do the interview come home, put the interviews together, do all the research for the next interviews, and then find a co-host. And it's just like, you know what? I'm just going to wake up. I'm just going to get this done. And it's going to be what it is. So uh, fear not. We are not co-hostless forever. And of course, uh, Alan Niven is, as we've mentioned before, locked away in an Arizona studio, uh, working magic with a new band. But uh, we will get back to co-hosts uh, in, uh, I guess, June, because May May is is wall-to-wall. Um, and plus, uh, uh, Acorn TV, if you don't know Acorn TV, it's one of these streaming services that has uh, British content. They have the new season of Line of Duty, Line of Duty Season 5. And uh, I know this has nothing to do with rock, but if you love a good you know, police thriller drama, you got to watch uh, this show, Line of Duty, on Netflix. They have season one to four, or at least Canadian Netflix. I'm not sure if American Netflix has one to four, but Canadian Netflix has one to four. But then this Acorn TV app, which we have, um, or an Apple TV, 
they they scooped up the uh, season five exclusively. So between having to watch that exceptionally awesome show and uh, Bosch uh, on uh, Prime, Amazon Prime, don't forget Bosch. Um, I just don't I just don't have time for co-hosts. Anyway, I have uh, now entered the realm of random rambling. So uh, let us get over to something that is a little more pointed and a little more on point. Here is from, well, no, not from, formerly from the Alice Cooper band, the one, the only, the mighty Kane Roberts. We are speaking with uh, guitarist Kane Roberts. The new album is The New Normal. It is available now. It came out earlier this year. It has got contributions by Nita Strauss, Alyssa White, Gluce, Alice Cooper, Kip Winger, and more. Kane, absolute, absolute pleasure. In fact, I don't think we've actually done an interview since probably 2012 when Unsung Radio came out. It, or maybe even New Place Now in 2000. It's It's been a long time coming, so welcome. Yeah, it's good to talk to you. I have a much lower voice now. <laughs> no, no, I'm I, yeah, no, I, I, uh, that's really not, always great to talk to you, Mitch. I mean, yeah. you're one of the uh, fully informed, archivist, uh, passionate music evangelists that, you know, I've ever run into. And, and, you know, you know that, you know that that's true. Anybody that listens to you or follows you on any of the networks, they're all very aware of that. So I'm really happy to, you know, always do uh, anything with you. So Absolutely. it's not anything. Not no. anything, but but talking, but no. And yeah, by the yeah, way, the, uh, yeah. the word you were looking for is geek. That's that's pretty much what I come down to. I'm just a music yes, geek. Yes. But uh, geek. the the new the new normal. Uh, I will start off by saying this: the uh, the album is fantastic. The especially that stuff that the song with Alice, the beginning of the end. And folks, you have to go over to YouTube and watch the video because it's not just a three minute video. Here here I am playing my guitar, you know, and leave me alone. It's it's like a mini movie, and, and um, Cheryl's in it, and Alice is in it, and it, it's it's real. Did you have that in mind, by the way, to make sort of a, a mini movie, for the lack of a better word, rather than just some performance video? Yeah, no, I from the from the outset, I thought I wanted to do a little bit more. I mean, it, you know, the the sort of knee jerk reaction to stuff is to you know rent a, uh, a an airplane hangar or some warehouse and set up the equipment or just, you know, jump around with the guitars and stuff. And I decided I wanted to do something a little different, especially with having Alyssa White Glues from Arch Enemy and Alice Cooper involved because their, their personalities are so enormous. In other words, it's one of those things where to have Alice, you know, pretending to be in front of a microphone or the same with, with Alyssa seemed just a little less in terms of, uh, you know, what, what I could potentially do with it. I mean, the, the real trick of all of it was to get both of them in the same location on the same day. I mean, Alyssa, uh, Alyssa flew, Alyssa flew from, uh, Montreal. Europe oh, not to, from Montreal. Uh, okay. She, she flew from Europe to Montreal, stayed at the airport for four hours and then flew six hours to Vancouver to be on the video. And, and Alice, who actually did something that actually defies, uh, you know, the uh, reality is that he actually skipped a day of golf to be in the video, which, you know, knowing Alice, that was, that was a huge deal. I was fully grateful for him to do that because he, he really needs that day in between shows because he was actually on tour. So I actually got them together. You know, all three of us were together and, you know, anybody that's been involved in any film or video productions know that, you know, things blow up all over the place. You're constantly putting out fires, so to speak. 
but uh, uh, we got through it, and uh, you know, I put I put it together. I had a good team. Um, we weren't able to shoot everything because I was actually going to have the end of the song be uh, with my gun guitar, and I had I had the guy who made the original one send it to me, and we were we actually uh, uh, juiced it up with this flamethrower that shot thirty five forty feet. It was going to be really funny, kind of like a cool homage to that whole thing. Uh, but we weren't able to do it, so we came up with the uh, the ending of uh, Alice and Cheryl kissing uh, while the world explodes. So, um, but yeah, I mean, my thought was to do something a little different, something quote hopefully a little you know extra. I mean, in the studio, um, we finished uh, beginning of the end with just me singing on it, and I thought to myself, how incredible would it be to have Alice Cooper come in? and sing the sing with me a duet not just to sing a few lines but to actually do a, the whole song with me and he happened to be in town he came right over he he killed it and then i figured i was done and i was about to do the guitar solo and i thought to myself to have Alyssa sort of fall out of the sky and land in the middle of the song and blow the thing apart would be would be so awesome and uh she loved the song and agreed to do it so i, I was very lucky to have such talented uh powerful forces in the music industry uh, on that song yeah you really were and and and, and let me get this straight I, I had heard and you corrected if i'm wrong but you even thought of getting oliver stone to come out and produce the video or one of the videos on this album well yeah i mean my my personality is such that i'll ask anyone i mean you know i i didn't know Alyssa. i had never met her um uh, michael alago actually uh is friends with doyle that's her her boyfriend uh, Doyle from the Misfits, and I was just having a discussion with Alago, and then I said, "I said, wait a sec, do you know Alyssa?" He goes, "No, but I know Doyle." I said, "Could you ask her if she'd be interested?" And um, and she said yes. And by the same, you know, and, and, and as we were getting close to the video, I was trying to think of who I could get to direct it. And you know, there was one point I was I was ready to call Oliver Stone. Hey, would you like to direct a a music video with Alice Cooper in it and stuff like that? But we just the logistics of that are, are actually uh, it complicated things greatly because just to get those two people together with me in Vancouver with a director and a 30 man crew and all the equipment and everything was uh, was actually kind of a miracle unto itself. But my, my per- the point of it was, Mitch, that my personality is you, you have to just ask, you know, you ask life what you want. You ask people what you want. You just do it. There's no harm in doing it if you want to move the ball forward. You know that's funny. Uh, at lunch, I actually had that conversation with my wife. She 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 wants to go apply for a, a better job, and I and she said, "Should I go ask the lady who happens to be the supervisor and all that?" And I said, "Well, yeah, of course you go ask." She goes, "Oh, but I'm too shy." And I said, "But you already have zero, so if you go and ask her, and she says no, you still have zero, so you haven't lost anything. If she says yes, you've gained, so you've only got something to gain. So what's the problem?" And she's like, "Well, I'm shy." I said, "Well, well you know, <laughs> yeah." Yeah, see, I was I was lucky enough to to hang out with you know people like Chef Gordon, you know Alice's manager. He became my manager, and and you know people like that. And their whole thing is that if you're in a situation where you know you want to move forward, you want to gain some higher ground, um, whether it's asking for more money or this or that, there's the pressure is not on asking the question. And the question is not necessarily how you do it, although all that stuff is important. You have to allow yourself the freedom to think that you're just going to do it. You just give yourself a break. You get out from under your pedestal, so to speak, and you just 
you just walk up and you, you take the shot. I asked some people to be on the record and they said, no, Tracy guns told me to go fuck myself. No, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Tracy will kill me if I, but he didn't, but you know, he wasn't able to. So he said, no. You know, that's going to that's going to be the headline, by the way, that's that's going to be right there, right there on on whatever blabbermouth or alternative nation. They're going to say Kane Roberts. No, Tracy. I literally I I asked I asked a lot of people, you know, Nita was was just so sweet. I mean, she's I saw her live with Alice and it's just it's just she's so fantastic. And I love her guitar playing. I I liked it when she was with uh, the Iron Maiden. So um, so I asked her to play on uh, one of the songs, I think. Yeah. King of the World. And so we trade back and forth and uh, I was so happy I did it. And I remember when, when I heard what she did, I mean, I, it, it kind of woke me the fuck up because, you know, she just tore into the beginning of that solo. It's unbelievable. So, um, so yeah, I mean, my personality, like I said, is to, to just, if you hear something in your head, if there's something you want to ask for, you, you, you just do it. And just as a side note, the drummer on beginning of the end is Aoyama Hideki from, uh, from baby metal, another favorite yes. band of mine. And, and he's an unbelievable drummer and he kills the song. Yeah, that, that's great. And they, of course, baby metal just announced their first headlining show in the U S coming up, which is kind of cool. But le, let me ask yeah, you I'll about be there this. in LA. Yeah, that's going to be great. Right. Uh, let me just quickly, oh, ask yeah, you, uh, quickly ask you about Alice. I've recently had Kip Winger on the show and you did these two albums with him and you of course participated in trash uh, and then you, you, Alice moved on to another band. W- was there any kind, because you, he, he flies up to Vancouver and takes a day off of golf. So I'm assuming that the relationship's great. And, and the reason you two parted ways back in the day was just something else, right? I mean, what, what, what sort of made you not do the third album and the fourth album and the fifth album with Alice? Well, the, 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 what happened was I, I got the record deal on Geffen. And, you know, we got Desmond Child involved and a lot of different people. So, so once you step into that, it, it's, it's almost as if the record company, you know, and everybody involved is very hopeful that, that that's going to be your, your main enterprise. It's almost like, you know, with your, your wife going into another job or whatever, they don't want to know that she also has another job. You know, it's, it's that, that sort of a thing, you know, while they hire her, you know, it's like, you know, you'll be working here and you'll also be working over there. So it was one of those things where, you know, my full focus had to go on to that record. And Alice also was beginning to surround himself. I, I don't know if it was a new record company or something, but he began to surround himself with kind of a new sort of a structural uh, entourage in terms of, uh, you know, the, the, the music production and all that stuff. So he and I just totally, you know, in a friendly way, just, you know, started doing different stuff. That That's all it was. And you know, we even talked about me playing again with him sometime in the nineties, you know, I almost, I almost rejoined the band, but we, you know, it's one of those things. And by the way, his band right now is unbelievable. So, you know, it's not as if I'm sitting there, you know, he did ask me to sit in on, um, schools out in Vancouver and I was unable to do it, but I actually would have been the first time on stage with him, uh, from back in the day. So, um, I was just talking to him and he said, the next time you come to one of my shows, bring your guitar. So that, that should be kind of a cool thing. I'll be, that'll be funny. Uh, you know, a lot of fun to be up there with, with him, his amazing band and, and, and Nita, of course. Nita is absolutely wonderful. Okay. So you mentioned Desmond Child. I interviewed him about a month ago and talked about songwriting and stuff. So let, let's go over to Saints, yep. and, Saints and Sinners, which is the album from 91. Did a lot yep. of work with him. 
Talk to me about the songwriting process, because you look at the songs, and I've got them in front of me. Wild Nights, Twisted, uh, Does Anybody Really Fall in Love Anymore, which ended up being uh, taken up by Cher, I guess, and Bon Jovi. Um, what's the writing process? Do you come to the table with a whole bunch of songs, these 10 songs, and he's a song doctor and says, okay, fix this, fix that? Or do you sit in a room and go, hey, I've got an idea, and he goes, great, I have a lyric. What? Talk to me about working with him, because he is a genius, if you well, ask me. Well, well, both of those both of those scenarios uh, took place. I mean, I, I, I came in there with some, some songs um, and he had some ideas and I had some ideas. The, the, the main thing about guys like that, it was also when I wrote with uh, Paul Stanley is that, that the, you know, the more prolific writers, the guys that, you know, they put a lot of material, they've had a lot of albums out, you know, this kiss has had a ton of records out. And, and is that, that, you know, um, if you're there for 15 minutes, this is Desmond. If you're there for 15 minutes, when you leave, you have a song. It's like, it, it, it may not be hundred percent done, but you'll have a verse, a B section chorus and bridge or something, you know, something like that. Whereas like a lot of times, and, and you know, guys that play music and, and have friends that they write with and stuff, they'll find that, you know, they're there for three hours and they're still struggling with a verse and everybody starts yawning and then they go home and they, you know, they don't have anything. I got a little bit of a verse. But that's not the way these guys operate. Like, like when I drove up, to, I was with Bob Ezrin and, and Paul Stanley when I wrote Take It Off with Paul. I went up there. Um, he and I sat down and boom, we just started doing that song. And, and it just started building and building and building. And, you know, and it's because of the amount of focus that is just sort of the default of when you walk in there. Now, with, with Desmond because I wanted him to work with me on, on, you know, most or all the material, you know, it was a little bit of a sort of getting to know each other type thing where I would go in and play in some songs and, or I'd send him some tapes or, you know, whatever it was. Um, but you know, when you step into the office, you know, that's, it's just all business. You just kind of, you just kind of work it all out and, and, and you want to make sure like, like, and the reason I, I told you the 15 minute story is because that actually happened. He was getting ready to get on a plane. I happened to be in Hollywood. I just swung by there and, I think we wrote the beginning to, uh, you know, the, the, the verse and chorus to Wild Nights. So, you know, that, that's kind of how, that's kind of how those guys work and how they operate. And you get, you know, for me, I, it was a learning process. I got kind of swept up in the situation with, with Alice writing with him. I mean, we, we had, we immediately became best friends. So, you know, the, what it, what it took for, for us was, you know, just to feel the pressure of the schedule that was coming up. We had to do the constrictor record. We had to do raise your fist. So we raise your fist. We wrote while we were on the road, we were just into this uh, complete sort of project mode of getting all this stuff done and sort of reconstructing, you know, where Alice uh, was going to be sort of his launch period over the next, you know, 10, 15 years of his career. So that, that was sort of our focus with those projects. Yeah, so I'll, I'll get to Constrictor in a second, because that, that's an important album. album. Alice had taken some time off, and this was the return. But since you mentioned Paul Stanley, let me go there first. You write the song Take It Off on the Revenge album. Uh, Bob Ezrin is involved. So what's the process there? Does Paul call you up and say, hey, do you want to write? And you, you put four or five songs together and one's chosen. Do you just write the one song or just sort of send it in and they say hey that's kind of cool we'll we'll kissify it and and, and of course uh, the the irony or the fun thing about that song is that it's the only song on the album that doesn't feature eric singer on drums they brought in uh, kevin valentine 
See, there we go. Yeah, I know. A lot of of Kiss geekdom going on. But uh, but talk to me about that, because first of all, when you look back for for Kiss albums, I usually put Revenge in my top three, if not the top five. Uh, What what was the take there? How did they get to you? Well, that's that's once again that that's uh, that would be Bob Ezrin. Bob Ezrin was the guy that noticed me that had me come down to to New York to meet uh, to Manhattan to meet Alice, and and. He, I'm just sitting at my place, and uh, phone rings, and it's it's like, uh, hey, Rabbit. He used to call me Rabbit. He said, you want to want to write with Paul Stanley? And I went, yeah. And he said, well, come on up. So I just drove up right away, and I went up to his house, walked in there with a guitar. You know, we said hi. It was very the, – the hellos were really brief. I mean, I just, hey, how you doing? And then we sat. I sat down with the guitar, and uh, – I played da 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 da, da 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 you know, whatever the riff was. And Paul went, oh, that kicks ass. You know, so we started working on it, and it was immediate. So, in other words, I had a riff that I thought he might like, and he happened to love it. And then, you know, Gene loved it, and then the song just kind of, you know, kept, you know, evolving. You know, we, we had we had two or three, three or four writing sessions, and then... um of course, uh, my one of my good friends, Bruce Kulick, played you know just kind of legendary guitar riffs over it and stuff like that. So uh, I was you know I was really fortunate with that. But but you know once again it was very very simple. And then they uh, you know he was he actually Paul actually called me up a couple of weeks later and said, hey, you want to see uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? I actually went and saw a movie with Paul Stanley and I'm like a fanboy, So I'm like, Hey, I'm like super cool. And then suddenly we stopped talking to each other. But anyway, but that, that was good. I just saw him recently at one of the rock and roll fantasy camps. So uh, that's good. we sort of caught up a little bit. Now, yeah. now nothing that you contributed to the demo is on the album. There's no cane lick or rift or anything underneath the covers there. It's you're not on the song at all. You mean, a, oh no, not on the record. No, okay. I, I didn't play on the record. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And, and, and just real quick, the, the demo, when you sent it in, did, did you send sort of a, 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 a realized version with your vocal and your guitar? Like, like, um, no, scratch no, track? I, no? I okay. sat there. I, they never, they never received the demo. Okay. I just sat there, plugged my guitar in and started playing guitar while Paul sang. And that, oh. that was recorded. And that was what they used, you know, over the next three or four days of writing, that's what they used for, you know, Bob and Gene and, Bruce and, and Paul to, to record the song. I, I went to the studio once while they were playing it, too, which was kind of cool. Oh, that's kind of cool. Sorry. Right, so you mentioned yeah. Bob Ezrin, and Bob Ezrin is the one that brought you to Alice. So I'm assuming this is obviously then in the time between Data and Constrictor, somewhere 84, 85, 86. What's the story there? Does he come to a club and you're playing and he says, hey, I got that guy I got to recommend him or, or did he put out a, a casting call and said, you know, a super group being assembled. Like how does Bob Ezrin bring you to the attention of Alice? Well, a- Alice had just gotten out of rehab. So, and, and, you know, his, anybody that's seen any of the documentaries, there's one called super duper Alice Cooper. And there's, yep. uh, he, he, he was 80 pounds, you know, trying to make a comeback there as he was close to, you know, not being around very much longer. And so, so they they were in in search of somebody to help with the quote unquote resurrection of Alice. So I guess a tape uh, from this guy, this name's Don 
Passion, but he was from Screen Gems. He had a tape of mine, and he sent it to uh, Bob Ezrin. And so Bob called me and said, you want to come down and meet Alice Cooper? So I drove to um, the office there in Manhattan. It was kind of a big office and everything. And I'm sitting in front of, uh, I go into one office and it's got like a big picture window and a big, you know, uh, desk, big oak desk. And Ezrin's there with the skyline of New York behind him. And, and I really think that they gave me a short chair because I, you know, I was kind of looking up at the Wizard of Oz, you know, and I think they do that with these power meetings, you know. And, and he sort of, you know, he said to me, you know something, Kane, you're 50% of a great writing team. And I really think writing with Alice would be really good for you. You know, and I was like, okay. So I walk into the other room and the, the next office, the office next to him is Chef Gordon's office. And of course there's a big entourage and Alice is there. And, you know, I really got a sense that I'm walking around history makers, you know, people that changed culture, changed music, whether it was The Wall with, with uh, Ezrin or all the uh, albums that Alice did and all the artists that Shep Gordon has, has, had managed and everything. So I really got that sense. But um, as people that know me will tell you, I, I really don't get nervous in those situations. I kind of sort of absorb, you know, the moment. It's kind of exciting to me. So I am a very hyper person. I really was bad then. So if any, anything, I was a little hyper, but I, I just totally, totally like ate it up. And then uh, Alice and I became best friends within 15 minutes. And they noticed, you know, they noticed how, how we were laughing and just really getting along. So, you know, I think that also had a lot to do with why, you know, the relationship can continue, you know, and, and my thing with Alice, since he was coming out of rehab, it's one of the, uh, the things that I talked to Alice about and, you know, everybody involved was, you know, I, I don't think you want Alice to come back having survived rehab. I think, you know, he has to come back like a nuclear version of him. So, so that's what I did with, uh, you know, the, the, the music direction of the, uh, of the tour and the two records. I just wanted him to be able to compete with what rock and how the, the metal influences had sort of, uh, you know, infiltrated the whole, the whole process. Yeah. So, all right. So let me just uh, get to, uh, to Constrictor real quick. Uh, it is the comeback album and, and you're, you're talking about, uh, you know, the, the sound and where metal is going. Uh, what was the pressure like going into those recording sessions? Was this, listen, we, we only get one chance to get this right. Or was it like, all right, we'll make an album. And if it doesn't do well, we'll grow from there. We'll learn from our mistakes. We'll get to the second one. Or was this really pressure cooker? Like if you F this up, we're done. So we can't F this up. Yeah, no, it, it wasn't, it wasn't like that. It was, uh, it was, um, it was, you know, my personal feeling too. Is, by the way, if it was like that, I didn't notice. I mean, you know, if there there was a time that, you know, I when I say hyper, you know, Alice would tell me to calm down sometimes. And we'd be in a lot of situations on tour and everything. So I'm just I'm just rolling with with the energy. And you know, we walked in and and we just took everything. Alice and I just took everything day by day. And I also knew that the way Shep Gordon and the way Alice operate is is very much uh, a loyalty and family structure so if you know maybe not with all the band members that walk through the 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 alice cooper franchise but you know with me he he and i became such you know 
close friends and we wrote and worked all the time on stuff. And, you know, we walked into that record. Um, we, uh, you know, uh, we, I guess Bo Hill produced it. Um, we were, we, some of the decisions that were made between drum, you know, having a drum machine or a real drummer and all that stuff, all those things kind of, you know, swirled around because, you know, Alice, Alice had kind of, you know, uh, been taken care of before with all those elements because he had his own band and, you know, the way everything was structured and everything, but we, we were in this kind of new territory. So, um, what, what really happened with Constrictor is I think we had some really incredible songs. Life and Death of the Party to me is one of the, uh, same with Alice. He, we think that's one of the best things we've ever written. And I think World Needs Guts and, uh, uh, you know, there was another one, Teenage Frankenstein. I think all those songs were just really cool. Now, in my mind, I wish they'd been, you know, recorded sonically a little bit better. Michael Wagner did his best to mix it and everything. And I think it's a really great first step back into the jet stream for, for, for Alice. Um, I think I think the the guys that uh, I end up I ended up choosing for the Raise Your Fist tour, you know, with uh, Ken Mary and Paul Taylor and Kip Winger and all those guys. Um, I think that was the beginning of you know the, having a real band that had sort of a thunderous approach to like how we all felt. We all believed in Alice, and we all believed in in coming back and 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 doing some uh, you know serious damage as opposed to just trying to be a uh, you know, an homage or, or a cover band. Yeah, and, and it really turned out right. And so let, let me bring the attention then to the the Nightmare Returns, the, this show in Detroit, Michigan on Halloween. You know, he's back and he's not just doing uh, clubs or, or, or state fairs. He's playing arenas again. Uh, this was, I guess, the fifth or sixth show on the tour. But But what was the excitement for you and what was that energy like going into that show that you knew was going to be videotaped? You knew it was in Detroit. You knew that's sort of where it all started. It's it's the arena. Um just what are some of the memories of that, that what eventually became the nightmare returns of video and DVD and all that? Well, I, I remember before the show, we were down uh, below the, uh, the venue there and where the locker rooms and everything, we did a photo shoot. There's a kind of a famous photo of me choking Alice. I get my arm around, I give him like a headlock <laughs> And they, you know, they took all these photos of Alice and me. It was pretty funny. Uh, the photographers, something Cronin, uh, no, not Kevin Cronin. I can't remember the guy's name, but really, really great photographer. I don't think he really, he, he's not a rock photographer anymore. But, um, so, you know, Alice and I were pretty loose, but, you know, I, I, I gotta be honest with you. Now, now I, I don't know how many shows we'd done. We'd done, we had done some dress rehearsals to an audience. We played one show, I believe in Sacramento, a very small one. Um, so this was essentially kind of like the first real show, in, in other words, where the shows had been very purposefully, very small crowds. Yeah, see, I, I've got we, uh, I've got you at uh, the, the Halloween show was six. I had Arlington, Santa Barbara National in San Bernardino, Lansing, Michigan, Saginaw, Detroit and then Detroit. So technically, I guess it was the yeah. sixth. Well, See, I don't I'm, know. I'm, I'm well researched. Well, probably a lot of a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of drugs kind of erased uh, a lot of my memory. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's just, that's so funny. I believe you. So that was kind of scary. I'm sitting there going, "Well, that's fantastic." I forgot six shows. Anyway, so so um, I'll I'll never forget. You know, the band is backstage, except you know Paul Taylor, the keyboard player, is up there, and it we hear the 
uh, keyboard start and the crowd just, you know, smoke comes up on the front of the stage and the crowd just, you know, roars suddenly. And, you know, Ken, Mary, Kip and I were all in the back and, you know, the adrenaline is just, you know, our heads are ready to explode, you know, it's kind of nerves and, and adrenaline and everything. And, uh, cause it's the first real big crowd that any of us had ever played in front of. And, you know, Alice goes, welcome to my nightmare, like that. And boom, boom, ding, ding. And, and so we purposely, I had purposely set it up so that it sounded like the classic Alice. Like it was going to sound, the, the tour was, the, 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 the show was going to sound like, you know, the original album, you know. And, uh, and I, I remember like, you know, we start to, you know, climb up onto the stage. And then, you know, I do this guitar bomb, you know, like I'm pu- pushing the uh, tremolo bar down with this big bomb. And the, the drum, soul, the drum uh, uh, so, uh, fill hits hard. And then Alice kicks open that, 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 that gate. And then the band just comes in really sort of thunderous. And, I, and I, I'll never forget, as soon as we hit the stage and Alice took over, the rest of the band, all of our nerves went away. We all talked about it because he's so, he's so commanding on stage. So we just, we just looked at him and just went, you know what? All the pressure is on that guy, and he's just eating it up. He's, he's performing to the last row at the, at the Joe Louis Arena. So... Uh, and you know, you're right. It was Halloween night. It was filmed live on MTV. They were also going to, you know, release it and all that stuff. So it was a lot of pressure and, um, you know, so, but, but, you know, it, it ended up being you know, really good, really kind of a good initiation of fire for all of us. Yeah. Baptism by fire. And, and I have to say that the nightmare returns video indoors. You, you can look back and, it is a classic Alice Cooper show. It's not, like you said, a tribute band or a watered-down version. You watch that and you go, oh, fuck, they were on. They were on. And and Ken Mary on drums. Holy mackerel, what a guy. Um, I will quickly remind folks that the, al- the new album is called New Normal. Uh, uh, Kane, I could do this forever. I have an unfortunately stacked my interviews today, and i got to get to one in a couple of minutes, but... Man, I'm just glad that you're still out there and still making music. And, and folks, really, uh, go buy the CD of The New Normal. Forget the whole streaming nonsense. Buy a physical copy. That's the way to go. And uh, Well, I really, the, the thing, too, is, you know, that we did, we shot the video. And I knew it would be, you know, it would be a, a slow crawl. But we're, we're, we just passed 200,000 views. And, you know, it's going to keep still climbing. You know, it's going to be, it's going to keep going up for a long time. Just really want people to go by YouTube and, and take a look at uh, the beginning of the end with uh, Alice and Alyssa and I, and just, you know, check out the video. That would be awesome. Yeah, I agree. Go, go see the video. Cause like I said, at the beginning of the show, it is really a mini movie. It's not your typical performance video from 1987 MTV here. It's, it's, it's actually, it, it's a four minute movie or five minute movie. I think it's five and a half to the video on on YouTube. It's, 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 yeah, it's yeah. entertaining. So there you go. Uh, Kane, as we say in, in Montreal, or as Alyssa might say, merci beaucoup. Thank you very, very much. Yeah, thank you, Mitch. It's always, it really is always a, one of the best interviews I ever do, and it's great talking to you. And I'll, I'll see you on Facebook. We can uh, hit each other up back and forth. Absolutely. Always a pleasure, and always, anytime you've got news, send it over. I'll post it. I'll, I'll share it. I'll make sure the fans uh, are aware. Awesome. All right, man. Thanks. Thank you, sir. Have a good one. See ya. Yeah.
You're listening to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Rock Talk. And a very big thank you to Kane Roberts for that fascinating interview. And um, I haven't listened to the playback of the show, but I believe, believe, perhaps I'm just being paranoid, but I think at the beginning of the show, I introduced him as Alice Cooper bassist. Did I do that? Because that's, that's just weak, man. That's weak if I did that. He, of course, was, not is, was Alice Cooper's guitarist. That is guitarist, G-U-I-T-A-R-I-S-T, guitarist, not bassist. Anyway, uh, I'll listen to the show after and, and listen to the playback. But if I said bassist, sh- shame, just shame. Very wrong. Anyway, uh, do pick up the new album. And I will keep this uh, talk up in between, whatever you want to call it, uh, brief. And uh, we will get over to uh, Chuck Calico and Brother uh, from Bisto Blanco. New album is We Are, comes out May 24th, 2019. So, uh, well, you can't buy it now because, well, we're not May 24th yet, but when we do... Go buy it. Uh, like I said, with Kane, we love streaming. Streaming is great. And go to YouTube and stream. That that can be monetized. But buying a physical copy, smelling it, touching it, seeing the artwork, that's where it's all about. Or that's what it's all about. And so uh, what we're about here on this show is interviews. And let's get to the next one. Here is a triple header of Bisto Blanco, the band on tour currently with Hailstorm. And I will be talking to Lizzie very, very shortly. Here is the what? What? Wait, there are three of them. Here are the the ones, the onlys, the mighties. That make any sense? Calico Cooper, Chuck Garrick, and Brother Laysom. We are speaking to uh, Calico Cooper of Bisto Blanco, and we've got uh, Chuck Garrick sort of roaming around in the background, so the phone will go back and forth between them. But the new album is "We Are." You are coming up to Canada in May, in, well, at least my part of Canada, Ottawa at the Brass Monkey, as a, um, not a solo show, but as a headliner show is what I'm trying to say. And then the next night in Montreal with Hailstorm at the MTELUS, which is a gorgeous venue, by the way. Uh, Calico, an absolute, absolute pleasure to talk to you. Oh, thanks, man. Good to talk to you, too. We uh, have not made it up to Canada yet, so this is something we've been talking about for a really long time. You know, we... Uh, with a lot of Canadian fans online, so this is just like I'm actually really excited to play. Yeah, I'm I'm very excited too. So l- let's talk about the band and focus on Bisto Blanco because it's it's very easy to say, well, Chuck's in Alice Cooper and all oh, Calico is Alice's daughter, and so, but that's not the story. The story is that Bisto Blanco is its own thing. It's a great thing. The albums that you've put out so far have been fantastic. So talk to me about putting together this new album. We are and really establishing the band as this standalone touring entity that's going to go open for Hailstorm, that's going to do these headline shows. Um, just talk to me about We Are, first of all. Well, I think the title kind of kind of says it all. It pulled it together. You know, the first two records, we really were kind of finding our footing, you know, coming from, like you said, from the Alice camp and everything. We, we really wanted to make sure it was a standalone creature. And, uh, you know, Chuck and I love working together. Uh, we play off each other really well. And I think uh, we just sort of got it and I got what he was trying to do. And, you know, he, uh, he just let me go. He took me off the leash and just saw what I would do and it just clicked. And so we, uh, you know, making music together and the stage show isn't really choreographed so much as it is like in the moment. And I feel like fans say over and over again, when you go see a Bisto show, obviously it's different every night, 
because we're feeding off of the crowd. Really, the crowd is a part of the Bisto show. I mean, it's not us up here and you down there. It's 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 an everybody's in this together kind of thing. And you know, we're <laughs> we're sweat flying and you know, kicks are flying, and it, and it really is an experience. But I mean, musically, it really came down to um, you know, I'm an actor and I'm a dancer. And Chuck says, well, I, I want to do this thing. I just this idea musically where it's sort of like Sonny and Cher meets like the natural born killers. And I went, that's great. Okay. I mean, I can conceptualize that. I love that visual. And I said, okay, so we, we, we sing and it works and it's really great music. And he goes, but just the theatrics, how we, how we sort of work off of each other is so great just naturally. So let's see what happens. And I mean, all it took was you know, one show and afterwards we went, Oh my God, that's it. So, um, you know, the first record I feel like was sort of the bones of what we were going to become. And then the second record, uh, that entitled Bisto Blanco, that really was the muscles. And then this record is really the teeth, the teeth and claws of the beast. It's like, it really has a, um, a really current sound without sounding like anybody else I've heard. You know, people always want to go, well, who do you sound like? And you go, well, we sound like Bisto. I mean, there really isn't anybody that we sound like. Of course, we, we, you know, nod to, uh, to Motorhead and, you know, nod to all the greats, but I really think it's super, it's its own thing for sure. It, yeah, it really is. And so, okay, so talk to me about the importance of bringing in visuals to a show and not sort of just standing there because I grew up loving Kiss and Queen mm-hmm. and Alice Cooper and, and all these bands that were, yes, they had great music, but they also had a great visual representation. Uh, talk to me about how much of that, it, I mean, I know you just mentioned that that it, you, you work off the crowd and stuff, but how important is it? Can 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 Bisto just stand there with the guitars and sing, or or is you need that visual element? Well, again, something really important. I think that you know we all take away from the greats that we've worked with, and you know we all have worked with Alice and Kiss and, and all those guys. I think uh, there's such a wealth of knowledge there that a lot of new bands sort of overlook. Like, oh, that's an old school way of thinking or an old school way of doing things. Well, also, you know, don't reinvent the wheel. The wheel rolls, man. So, you know, I think one of the most important things my dad taught me is visually, everything's great. It's icing. He goes, but the songs have to be there. You can, you can dress up a turd and it's still a turd, you know, but it's, it's, if you have a great song, the only thing that can make it better is bringing it to life. What are you singing about? Let's see it. What's the emotion of that song? Let's see it. You know, so, I mean, yeah, of course, we could stand there, we could play it acoustic, and we have, and we have a great time doing it because the songs are, are so really good. But the the theatricality of it, for me, comes from a need to to entertain. I, I can't just sing a song about, you know, about being a machine girl. I have to be a machine. I have to, like, it, it's just inherent. I don't know if it's genetic. I don't know what it is or just the vibe. But, you know, Beastro has always really been... Uh, a kind of practice what you preach band, you know, our songs are about, you know, getting up, grinding, not whining, not complaining, like putting your hand to the grindstone. And I, and I think we really do that. You know, we, we haven't really wrote any coattails or, or anything like that. So I'm really, I'm, I'm really confident in where it's going. And I don't think I would have done it if I wasn't just because, you know, being a celebrity kid, it, you don't hear about it a lot, but we really do kind of have an extra hurdle. And that is, how are you ever going to sort of, I, I guess the, the ideas outdo, you know, 
what what that parent has done or outdo what that boss has done. And the thing is, we're not we're not trying to outdo it. This is something that he's never done. And he loves it. I love the idea. When he listens to the Bisto record, he replays them over and over again. He really likes them. And that, to me, I'm just looking at somebody I respect musically, you know, going, wow, they like her stuff. This is really great. So, yeah, I mean, theatricality is, is super important. And, you know, he just said to me the other day, whenever you have a bad show, let's say, like, the guitars go out or the power goes down on stage and comes back up, nobody goes home after a Bisto show and goes, oh, the power went down. They go, did you see that? Did you see that? They have CO2 cannons and robots and all this stuff. And, and really, it is visual. And that is, that's an old vaudeville thing I don't think I'll ever let flip to my fingers. And, and the other thing that I find amazing, and, and you really hear, for folks that haven't had a chance to check it out, it's the, uh, the Live from Berlin uh, limited edition thing that you put out live that's what captures the energy of this band that's why you need to go see them that's why it's so exciting to see you with hailstorm and and of course alone now you of course have done a lot a lot of acting um mm. boy, boy parts on uh, hawaii 5 and and bloomers and then where where does this fit into all of this do, do you continue to act or do you sort of say okay I'm focused on Bisto. I'm going to do this tour. Let me go be a rock star. And if this doesn't work, I'll go back to acting. Right. Or do you sort of balance the two yeah. and say, well, okay, this is six months here and six months there. How, how does that work out? Well, I feel like one hand washes the other. You know what I mean? It's, it's a new era of media. And I think where bands used to go, oh man, we got a deal. Well, a deal's cool, but it's not what a deal used to be. You know what I mean? It's all oh, man, like, I got on a TV show. Okay, well, that's cool, but it's not what it used to be. There's 7 million TV shows now. You know what I mean? So it, the exclusivity of it is, is a little bit different. And now is the best time for you know me personally to be doing what I'm doing because it's like, you know, L.A. used to be the epicenter of film and television for America. And then all of a sudden it goes, oh my gosh, everything's filming in Canada. Everything's filming in Atlanta. Everything's filming... In Puerto Rico, everything's filming it. And so it's branching out to a point where, I mean, I can work all year long and never stop if I don't want to. And and that's just where I wanted to be. You know what I mean? I do great with downtime. I love Bisto and it's, it, you know, absolutely like my priority because it's also giving me the most right now. I, I, I love what's happening. I love the speed at which it's happening. I'm loving like, you know, the fans and the music. And then the minute I get home, there'll be all this stuff waiting for me. Like, Hey, do you want to do this show? Do you want to do this movie? And I mean, yeah, but I find myself going, yeah, I really want to do that. I can't wait to get back out on the road. That's by the way, it's interesting. You mentioned that because with, of course, all the streaming sites, the Netflix and the, eventually the Disney channel and Hulu and all that, and, and all the tax credits that Quebec and, and uh, British Columbia throw at producers are we sort of getting into that stage where the music industry was not so long ago, where there's just so much choice and so much proliferation that it's getting a little watered down and, and we don't know how to how to monetize it and how to move forward? I mean, are, is it still a viable business to be an actor or an actress? Uh, if, by the way, can we say actress? It, it, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I think that for, for as technologically advanced as we've gotten with the social media and everything like that, I do believe that the that the market's getting watered down and, and to a point where let's say you have a really great record. And I can say this from my heart because I believe that we are a super great record. I love it. And I mean, that's coming from somebody who's heard it 70,000 times. 
I really like the record. So it's one of the things you go, okay, so how do I get a record that I love out in, in the midst of the squillion other records? You know, when it used to be like, there was a lot less to choose from. So people, everybody heard Dark Side of the Moon. Everybody heard School That. Everybody heard Kiss Alive, you know. So how do you get it out? Same as film, same as television. You do it grassroots. It almost antiquated itself back to the beginning where now you have to build a street team, but it's not a street team anymore. It's an online team. And then you reach out from there and reach out from there. Our music is now getting, and our TV shows and our movies are now getting to parts of the world that they never got to before, which is great. So the fan base is wider, but I mean, the content has got to come out quicker, faster. People are, are, are digesting it so quickly. And it, you know, like we just released our video it was my directorial debut for this single, The Seeker. And, you know, they let me write, direct, produce, costume, do the whole video. And, um, and I did it. And now already people are going, well, when's the next video? I'm going, dude, we just did this one. <laughs> like, enjoy me, please. <laughs> well, you sort of have to go back to the old days where, you know, a Guns N' Roses or a Great White would take a week, make three videos, and then space them out. I mean, that that's what... By the way, I, I was watching The Seeker before. It's a great video, but also the song uh, Let, uh, Let's Rip. Uh, as I got down on, on the album, Let's Rip was up. It, it, that, that's it. Let's rip. It's just that, that's what it is. Let's it, rip is one of my favorites. Yeah, you're you're just ripping on it to to, to be uh, you know. Uh, but anyway, great song. Uh, but okay, so t- talk to me then, because you're you're mentioning, of course, that we have to have the social media team. How very important is it to to have that team? But also, how do you monetize the money now? Do do you start thinking about when you're putting these songs together that okay, if we write this song and this verse, we can get it into this Netflix movie, and if we write this and that, we can get it to this commercial. Do you start to have to sort of think outside of the box and like not just these songs are for a stage, but these songs are for more than just that? Yeah, it's so hard, man. For and I, you know. I'm not that old, but I feel like dinosaur because I've, you know, I started touring with my dad when I was 18 years old and I've been around, you know, that, that era of the music industry for so long. And I was just saying something about acting. It's, it's the same as music now. It's like, I remember when you just had to be a good actor. That's all anybody expected of you. You know what I mean? You'd be a kick-ass singer. You can totally wail. You're an amazing actor. You know, it's just brilliant range of emotion. And that was it. That was your job. But now, because of how big it's become and how, you know, how global, it's like me as an actress, when I first moved to L.A., I had to be my own manager, agent, PR, stylist, makeup artist, like webmaster. You have to be able to do everything that people used to get degrees to do. And, and you know, it's the same thing here. It's like, you know, you look to, to fans at the beginning to help, you know, when you like when you build a street team back in the day, like I was all into the pop punk movement. I love that. And I remember all those bands like the Blink 182s and some 41s and Alkaline Trios. I mean, they all had street teams, legit kids on the street, handing out flyers, putting them up in clubs. And I just, that's how I found out about shows. You know what I mean? Cause they didn't have the internet. Like where are they playing tonight? Like you would hand me a flyer and I'd stick it on my fridge. And then that was that. But now, you know, you find your first record and let's say you got 50,000 fans, right? So it's up to those 50,000 fans to care enough to go post, 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 post and post and spread the word. And that's really, I mean, 
it's downplayed how much the fans matter. It really is. And I mean, it's, it's how we have gotten to where we are right now. Legit. It doesn't matter how good the songs are. It doesn't matter how rad the stage show is. Nobody's seeing it. And if nobody knows about it, it is. <laughs> I mean, that's it. You know, you're very right about that. And, and I have to say there are some bands, uh, like your dad, for example, who really cater to the fans and really treat them nice. And the VIP experiences that they put together are exceptionally nice and, and everything is done. But there are other bands that seem to have an arrogance about it, which which I find disturbing. And I, and I encounter it a lot of times where they're like, oh, the fans, they, they said this about that. Oh, they criticized this song. It's like, well, yeah, but they're passionate. That, that's the whole point. Like, don't... don't don't sort of brush them aside. Yeah. I agree with you, man. I'm on your side on this, and I'll say this. Um, I think that it's a misconception. A lot of kids that, that make it big, right? They're, they're banned. They've been working at it for four or five years. They just hit it, right? Their song gets in the movie. They're the number one thing on Spotify. That's great. They haven't learned how to be a ninja yet. They don't know the respect that it takes, not just to have it hit, but to maintain a fan base. You know what I mean? These people have got to want you to come back. And I want your records and want that. And I think it's like these kids have seen on movies like, oh, yeah, check out how arrogant and rad these rock stars are. It's a movie. You know what I mean? Like, you've got to be, like, in any business, affable, intelligent. Look, it, everybody has bad days. I've definitely run into people that I know are cool people, but just we're just like, man, I'm tired. I'm overwhelmed. I've been on the road a long time. I think it goes both ways, but I will say that your Taylor Swift's, your Alice Cooper's, people that really take that extra time to, uh, you know, to connect to fans and not just, you know, brush them by, brush them by. I think it, it makes life first, and that's why it's a dynasty and not a band. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I agree. So where where do we go from here? So the album is coming out on May 24th. We are. I've had a chance to hear it. Like I've mentioned, it is really a, a, a great collection of rock songs. And listen, uh, when, when people say compare, compare, I, I, I hear some zombie in it, which is mm-hmm. I love it. But I also don't hear some zombie oh, in it. Oh, love that guy. Right? So, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, but, but where do we go? Do we, do we work this for the rest of the year and we start thinking about the next new album? Or is it really sort of one album at a time and one tour cycle at a time? And we'll see in two years if we still want to do this. It, it, you know what I mean? Are we thinking long-term, 10-year career? Or are we thinking, well, it's fun for now, and then we'll see if it's fun again? Oh, no, no, no. We're, okay. We were just having this conversation. You know, we're all on the bus. It's a day off. Everybody's, you know repacking, doing laundry, and we're just looking around going, man, we're all lifers, you know, we're all in this for life, like, this is such a unique group of people, and I mean, we're from all over the world, like, it's not like everybody's conveniently in Los Angeles, like, we've got, you know, Nashville, Copenhagen, uh, Germany, Los Angeles, like, we're from everywhere, and it's not real easy for us to get together and do this, but when we do, it is like, we're in, we're 100% present, and we just can't wait to get on stage. We have such a great time with each other, which is always nice, because, God, I know people that are like, if I was stuck on a bus with them, I'd burn my own eyes out. But <laughs> these are not those people, and we love working together. So I think we're really just enjoying the tour and enjoying the record and enjoying the Palais Real camp and enjoying Hailstorm. It's like, what a great fit. These three bands, when you see them live, it goes, it's like clap, clap, clap. I get it. It works. 
it, it, it's a great combination. In fact, let, let me ask you this. Uh, in terms of Hailstorm, because you're out with them now, talk mm-hmm. to me about working with, with Lizzie be, or, or being part of that thing, because she, she really is a modern-day rock star, if you know what I'm trying to say. She, she's not just... Oh, she's it. Oh, she's it. And I've seen her cover Cinderella songs and, and Twisted Sister songs and her own stuff. There's nothing she can't handle. So... Just what, what what do you learn as as somebody as a front woman watching her and seeing her and do you learn anything or is it like oh yeah she's good but I got my own thing like but you know she's great no, I mean mad respect I mean we laugh in between you know our sets I've I've known Lizzie for a while and we're buddies and so it's just like you know when we cross paths we just sort of look at each other and there's an understanding there of just like you know I'm seven foot four with the dreadlocks and and yellow contacts and a wielding a bat and she's seven foot four in like glitter bell bottoms and a leather jacket. We just sort of pass each other in the hallway and just nod. There's an unspoken bond there. And what Lizzie does is nobody else out there singing like that. Nobody else out there is able to, I think, hit that, that range. And that is what she does absolutely best. Oh, just, you know, and, and I am, I'm such a fan and, and have so much mad respect, but I don't think there's a comparison. I mean, for, for me, it's more of like, nobody does what Lizzie does, but nobody does what I do either. So, <laughs> Of course, of course. I'm fairly confident in that, and we just love kind of uh, watching each other do our thing. You know, I'm going to have to interview her again. I don't think I've interviewed her since like 2011 or something, so it's way overdue, way, way, way overdue. Um, way, way overdue, yeah, way, she's amazing. T- terrific, and I'm going to ask you this too, just an- another another strong female personality that's really amazing of course is Nita Strauss just if you can just give yes. me a comment about her because I was from what I remember her first interview ever and she has just become a superstar and she really so, has and yeah. I watched it happen and, oh yeah and you know that's another great thing I think about the Alice camp is it's a star maker it really is I think it gives you a a platform to kind of hone your craft and really like, you know, be seen. And one of the few people I know that don't say you're doing my thing or you're doing nothing. He is pushing you out of the nest as fast as he can, because he knows that anybody he hires is the best at what they do. The best, the absolute best. And so, you know, you talking about somebody like Nita, I mean, you know, I watched her join and I watched her get her feet wet and, you know, she got together with Chuck, they worked out the songs and, you know, she sort of stepped out and stepped out further and stepped out further. And I mean, she earned it, that nickname, Hurricane Nita Strauss. She is right in the center of it too. She's not disjointed and imbalanced. I mean, she is like sturdy as a rock, insanely good player. And I've never met a businesswoman more savvy. That inspires me. I go, man, she is just, as talented as she is savvy at business. And I think that, like I was saying before, that's what you need to be nowadays, a talented CEO. <laughs> you really do. And, and I have to say, everybody who's been in that band, and in fact, I just helped Damon Johnson uh, book a Canadian tour, and uh, him and Tommy and Ryan Roxy, 
man, your dad knows talent. But uh, anyway, let me. If you have a oh, geez, listen, I'm a, I'm a sold fan of since since I was you know yay high. Uh, if I may, may I may I get a word in because we're we're running at uh, 22 minutes, so we've got about four or five minutes left. May I get a word in with yeah. Sir Chuck Garrick? And by the way, thank you for 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 today. An absolute pleasure. And I have to say, I have enjoyed uh, watching you perform with your father. I, I have enjoyed the Beasto stuff. And I really, I'm going to say it again for folks. Yes, pick up the albums, but go look out for Live from Berlin. That's where you understand the, the, the ethos or the, 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 you know, what this band really is. That live album and that, those live songs. And it just, that's, that's the way to do it, man. That's the way. Thank you. We'll give you to the big beast himself. Thank you. Merci. Here he is. Yo, Mitch. Good day, Chuck. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm going to put you on speakerphone so I can hear you when I answer the questions. I'll put you back. I'll take you off. All right. Sounds good. And uh, listen, Calico did a great job. We've got a lot of the answers, but I'm going to ask you just a couple of, of similar questions in terms of just talk to me a little bit about how we are came together and, and just you know, carving the identity for this band, because it's easy to say, well, this is, you know, it sounds like this, it looks like that, but it's not. It really is its own standalone beast. <laughs> no pun intended, but there it is. Uh, but talk to me about putting the, you know, putting together We Are, first of all. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, we've been grinding out here for years. I mean, we've been a band since 2012. We've been, We've done a lot of touring. We've done a lot of writing together as you know this is our third studio album it's our fourth record if you want to include the live from berlin so it really was a chance for us to find out you know who who we are with all the experiences that we've had over the last few years and you learn a lot about yourself as a writer and as a band and you know we've played sold out arena shows throughout germany and austria switzerland we've done the, the, the big cruises but you know what we've also done smaller clubs with small with lower attendance and still putting on the same show i see that we've become this this unit this machine and we couldn't have been any of that we couldn't do any of that without the support of our our fans throughout the years there's there's been this really what i love the most this sort of this underground following that's developed and some of my favorite bands out there have had this same experience. So for us, it was a tribute back to the fans that it's, we are involved here. Lyrically, this record talks about how it takes an army. It takes all of us to, to do this. And so it's a, it's a nod to our loyal beasts. And it's also a nod to everybody involved from band members to management, you know, front of house guy, lighting guy, everybody that's been helping us, merchandise guy, everything. So it's really a team effort. And that's what this record lyrically is as well, is that we are Bisto Blanco, you are Bisto Blanco as well. And Bisto Blanco is going gonna, is gonna to replace the Kiss Army with the Bisto Blanco Army. So that, that'll be good, too. But, <laughs> right, that's coming. You know, I don't know if that's the case, man, with all due respect <laughs> to that. That is a well-oiled machine there. But we certainly have learned a lot from guys like that. I mean, obviously, the Kiss camp are very good friends of ours. And, you know, we grew up listening to Kiss as well. And, and I think we've just learned through the years that, you know, none of this would be possible without 
the fans. And we, uh, we really want them to know how much we appreciate, you know, what they've done for us. And, and I'm going to talk to you just quickly. I, I, a lot of these things I, I mentioned with Calico, but I'm going to ask you, how important is the visual performance and the stage show? Because there, there, there is something about showing up in flannel shirts and playing your guitars and, and delivering the songs. And then there's something about coming out there like Kiss, like Queen, like Alice with a show and say, listen, you're going to get a visual and an oral, an oral uh, experience. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. It is a visual experience and 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 it is, you know, an audio experience as well. So, why not when you have all of those things at your hand, at your fingertips, why not take advantage of everything that you have? When you have a Calico Cooper, why would you put her in a flannel shirt and sweatpants and have her just stand there and and, you know, just sing a couple of songs? It's that that girl is born to entertain. You know, she wants to entertain. She loves entertaining. She's fucking great at it. And so I, I could never even. My pet, my pedigree, if you think about it, is Dio and Alice Cooper for all these years. It's in my blood, man. I've learned from the best. And I know what it takes to put a show together. And when I was building Biso Blanco, I had that exact concept in mind. Didn't know exactly how it was going to turn out, sort of organically let it all happen, laid it all on the table, let everybody be them, be themselves, and sort of just let, let the cards fall where they may. And, uh, and, and that's what, how our show has developed. We're, we're, we're learning as we go, but as we go, we're really getting good at it. And uh, I, I couldn't imagine doing a show any other way. Yeah, and nor should you, because, uh, listen, uh, as you know, I grew up with all those bands, the ones that were super visual, and I, I just can't yeah. do, I, I can't do, you know, the grunge stuff where they just sort of stand there. I, I need, well, you know, the blood yeah. spitting and the flames, and yeah, I, I need it all. <laughs> uh, just real quick. Yeah, sure, and that stuff's important, because if you think about it, one of the best compliments I've ever gotten from any live show was from Lizzie Hill, where she had said to me after one of our shows, she said, I did not want to move where I was standing. I didn't want to go to the bathroom. I didn't want to get a drink. I didn't want anybody to even talk to me because she felt if she looked away, even for a second, she was going to miss something. And to me, that's the ultimate compliment. Yes, it absolutely is. And because there's a lot of bands that I go see and I do look away because they go into these extended guitar solos or they start talking to the crowd for half an hour and you're just like, just play a fucking song. But yeah, but but exactly. Beast, though you can't you can't look away because it's like it's it's happening. So just real quick on in terms of the band in the future, and let me put the question this way, and you can recontextualize it. But is this sort of the the thing that you do when Alice is not touring, or is this a band that you really want it to be its own thing? And at some point, you know, if a tough decision has to be made, you know what I mean, like this is not just a side project to fill in some time. Absolutely not. Okay. And you asked me this question a while ago and I, I know, I, you know, the, the idea of me being to, 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 to step away from Alice Cooper has never come into play for me, but I will tell you this, what I, and I get why people do this, but I want really want people, the new Bisto Blanco fans, the people that are reading about who Bisto Blanco is. I wish that they would that the first thing they read is Bisto Blanco is a band. This is what we do. This is who we are. This is what we sound like. 
I don't necessarily on this band in particular, because we've been doing this for so many years. We're not riding anybody's coattails. We're certainly not using uh, that name, that Alice Cooper name to identify ourselves. We're not. That is a separate job for me. Visto Blanco is its own identity. And I wish people would write it as just exactly what it is. Is Visto Blanco is a band. Visto Blanco has its own sound. Visto Blanco has its own stage show. Man, I am honored and, and completely just grateful to what Shep and Alice has done for me with all respect to them. And they've been so supportive. Uh, It's truly one of the greatest things that have ever happened to me musically to be with Alice Cooper, who I consider, you know, the king of shock rock. I mean, there would be none of these bands that are out there today if it wasn't for him. And I respect that, but I work, I work so hard and so is everybody else in this band that we deserve to have our own identity. And that's something we work really hard on is for people to know that this isn't a project. This isn't just a phase. This is a lifestyle. This is a band. This is who we are. And, and it's great. And, and, and I'll, I'll finish with this because when, when uh, live fast die loud came out, was it a band at that point, or was it just sort of the, a Chuck Garrick solo album, and then it became something? Because to me, there seems to have been an evolution where you put some songs together, and then you got a touring band together, and then you said, hey, man, we are Bisto Blanco, yeah. right? I mean, that's that's sort of how it Well, went. you know, hey, man, just, just like anything, you know, you start off sort of, I mean, it was just a empty canvas at that time. It was a blank canvas. We, we had no idea what the reception was going to be. We had no idea. I mean, even the label, I think, at times got, well, how are we supposed to promote this? I mean, I've, we've, I've signed a guy that's the bass player in Alice Cooper. We're going to have to kind of ride that a little bit. Um, I think they, they realized that and realized it quickly that it helps maybe a little bit, but at the end of the day, rock and roll fans aren't stupid. They're, they're not going to just come see us because it's the bass player and Alice Cooper, they want to come see you because there's some entertainment value there for them. There's a reason for them to get out of their house, spend their money to, you know, dedicate their time to what we're doing. And that to me, that takes time to develop. So no, it never has been the Chuck Garrick solo project at all. I never had that in my mind. It's just taken us time to figure out what exactly we're doing. And, and, and it takes time to develop that. We have to get tour dates and, and get out there in front of, in front of people. And, and uh, it's just not an overnight thing. Um, uh, the, the, you know, you can never use the word overnight success or any of that stuff with us because we've been doing it for years and, and uh, just, again, figuring out who we are. So it's never been a solo project for me. I could never do it without my band, ever. And, um, it, 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 and uh, for me, they're, they're just as important as as you know the sound and the lights and all of that stuff it's just one one you know it's one machine and it's fucking man we're having the best time out here mitch trying to you know we're figuring it out we're on tour with hellstorm it's so much fun we love these guys we have so much respect for each other and you know we're playing in front of a, a completely different demographic now than we've ever had it's such a great opportunity for us but the response has just been phenomenal where everybody's involved they're paying attention they're participating i think a lot of them may not have seen us before or heard of us before and they are participating they're in it and they are entertained and um it's just a great package and uh, we're really stoked to be out oh, here 
It's an incredible package, and uh, I'll just quickly remind folks, the band is on tour all through May and e- even a little bit of June. Uh, Hailstorm and, of course, uh, headliner shows. For me, particularly, uh, May 14th, the Brass Monkey in Ottawa, Canada. I, I, I just love mentioning those guys because the owner of that bar is so incredibly uh, awesome. And, of course, with Hailstorm right. in Montreal on uh, May 15th at the M. Telus. But, folks, they're all over the place. Brooklyn, Clifton, Pittsburgh, Memphis. Yeah. You must catch a Bisto Blanco show. That is absolutely essential. Jacksonville, Florida. Yeah. Uh, Rapid City, South Dakota, Sioux Falls, Cedar Rapids. I mean, just all over the place. (laughs) We're doing it, man. We are doing it. Chuck, as always, uh, uh, a big pleasure. I was going to say un grand plaisir, as we say in French. But uh, merci beaucoup. Thank you for today. And we will see you uh, on the road very shortly. And, of course, folks, uh, hold on here. I'll just quickly remind you. The date is May 24th for We Are. Uh, Go check out the video, The Seeker. It is up on YouTube right now. But I'm telling you, when you get the CD in your hand, and yes, buy the CD. Don't Don't stream this stuff. Buy it. Let's rip track number six is a masterpiece you loving that track Mitch? love and let love and let's prep let's rip it is it yeah but again not to not no pun intended but that song rips it is just it's terrific (laughs) you know i love it man two kinds of people that exist yep yep those who think with their heart or their fist come on baby let's rip there you go merci monsieur thank you we'll see you in a in a in a few weeks or soon sounds good Hey, real quick, would you mind just interviewing a uh, bass player or guitar player really quick just to get them involved, Jan or Chris? Yeah, 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 yeah. Give me, give me one of the, yes, absolutely. Brother Latham. Uh, anyone in particular? No, who do you, who, who prefers? Anyone? Okay. Whoever you want. Either you or Jan, you want to talk to Mitch? Yeah. Hello. Hello, hello. Is this Brother Latham or is this Jan? This is. How you doing, Mitch? You're, you know, you're catching us in the... Uh... It's called the interviewer's bathroom. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's 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 uh, past the telephone around. It's, it's the greatest thing. So just real quick, you are, of course, Brother Latham. You play guitar with Bisto Blanco. And uh, we are just going to add a couple more, uh, a little more seasoning to the interview. We've had Calico. We've had Chuck. But uh, just talk to me about being in this band and developing this because there there is a unique sound there's a great visual to it the, the tour with hailstorm is 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 something that everybody must see but what's your take on on the whole band and on the new album we are oh man i think uh you know with, with this record there was um it was a real interesting process i think on this you know because we, we as we were writing the tunes uh, we'd bring them in and we'd, you know, play them with our producer. And of course, a lot of things would change and whatnot. But during that process, uh, you know, I found myself with coming up with guitar parts and doing all sorts of things. I was really going back to, uh, uh, you know, uh, the songs were inspiring me to kind of go back to some of my roots of rock and roll growing up, you know, listening to some of the car Skinner and all this stuff that bring in our, uh, our heavier and bisto twist on it, if you, if you want to say, but, um, and there was just a lot of stuff that was going on through uh, through the process of this record, which I think really helped us, uh, you know, grow as a band. And, and I think, uh, you, know, you know, fans and, and us will see the maturity of what we've done with this record. And we're so proud of it. We hope, you know, we hope fans are involved because they're a big part of, of, of what this record's about. They really are. And... and... In terms of creative input with with the the thing, you know, I see it as, as you know Chuck sort of the the guiding force, and maybe that's the wrong way to see it. But 
in in terms of getting the songs together and the writing process, how involved are you in the overall thing? Um, a pretty big part in that. So yeah, you know, it's it's you know what we've had to do because we live in two different areas of the United States. What we do is we go back and forth with uh, sending out guitar riffs or uh, vocal ideas, or Chuck will have pretty much a song laid out. Um, and then oh, you know, I might go through and rewrite something completely musically for the guitar or whatnot, but keeping that vocal melody, like that was a big thing of what I did on this last record. He would send some really cool stuff and then we'd get in there with our producer and next thing I know I'm kinda of rewrite some some of the musical parts of it. But um uh, you know, I definitely say that uh you know, there's there's a big part of me in the writing process of what we're doing on this and uh uh you know Chuck could give a blueprint or I could give a blueprint and then he'll take it. Next thing I know, we've got, you know, like for the seeker, for instance, I've had that riff and all the, you know, stuff on that, but all of a sudden Chuck sent back something with a uh, vocal melody and a, a pseudo drum beat. And there we had a song, you know, is, is your primary focus right now uh, on Bisto Blanco or is this one of multiple projects? Is there something else that you're involved with that maybe you'd want to mention? Well, I mean, outside of doing my own stuff for, you know, uh, TV and film, I have written some music for both TV and film and some radio stuff, just more on the jingle side of it. But this is uh, this is really my my focus and, you know, uh, uh, the deep love of mine. I mean, you know, when we started this back in 2012 with just some demos and next thing you know we had our first record it was uh it was something we knew i you know i knew it was going to be really special and seemed to uh i always felt it was like Bisto blanco was bringing the culture back to rock and roll so to speak and maybe that's uh you know tooting our own horn a little too much maybe not but uh you know just the vibe of what this band is with fans and everybody around us it just seems like everybody really jumps on board and it's uh you know taking a liking to what we're doing they really are. And of course, th- this tour with Hailstorm is something that you cannot miss. And uh, folks, I will I will tell you, head over to uh, facebook.com forward slash Brother Latham. Do, uh, do give him a like and check him out. And uh, Sir Brother, can, can, how, how do we say that? Brother, 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 Sir Brother? Brother Latham. <laughs> brother Latham, we will see you in, uh, in Montreal and probably in Ottawa and uh, just have an incredible tour. I, I cannot wait to see this band because I know... Uh, having seen the videos and seen the band once before, it is not just a show. It is an event. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we do appreciate you having us on the show. And, and uh, hope to see you guys. and hope to see everybody else come out and see us and join us and become one of the loyal beasts. <laughs> Absolutely. And as we say in Montreal, merci beaucoup. Thank you so much. And uh, we will catch you soon. Very good. Merci beaucoup. Merci. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Thank you, Mitch. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Cheers now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Mitch LaFawn.